Welcome back to whatever the weather. Oh, what? That's that's nice. <laughs> I was simply going to say hi, everyone. Welcome back to whatever the weather. But that version is much whatever better. Whatever the weather. <laughs> In a jazz club. In the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everyone, welcome back to Whatever the Weather. We are so excited. This is our second episode of our reboot of the video and audio podcast, Whatever the Weather. We had a great reception to our first welcome back episode yeah. where Katie and I talked a little bit about our lives as meteorologists. And so today's topic is going to be... Drum roll. Hail. What the... What the hail, hail. is okay. the title of There's so it's... many puns we could do, but uh, <laughs> we will try to avoid doing them. Uh, but first, we just thought we would catch up real quick and talk about a few things. So, Katie, what uh, has been the best part of your week so far? <laughs> I felt so cheesy doing this, but I just thought we will take a few catch minutes up. to catch up. Um, what has been the best part of my week? It's been ooh, it's been an interesting week. We, uh, My husband and I are buying our first house. Yay! Which is exciting, and the market has been crazy, so we feel very oh fortunate gosh. that something has worked out. Uh, but it is a learning process, and I've found myself getting stressed out, but then I try to remind myself it's a learning process, and mm -hmm. we're very fortunate to be in this position. So we've watched a lot of YouTube videos and listened to podcasts, and it's cool to be kind of learning this stuff together. So it's it, it's been fun. That's so exciting. Yeah. What's your address? I'm just kidding. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> um, for me, I think the best part of my week, well, it was kind of last week, yeah. but I got to go on vacation. Amazing. It was so much fun. I went to the Great Smoky Mountains. We stayed in a town called Franklin, North Carolina, mm. and we did a lot of outside work. So one day we went on a five mile hike and half of that was uphill. Oh, gosh. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was fun. Uh, I cooked for nine people three nights. Oh, my gosh. It was gosh. so awesome. I made beef burgundy and hot dogs and hamburgers. And the other thing I made was called shakshuka. What is that? It is a um, uh, Middle Eastern dish, Israeli dish. Um, oh, it's cool. delish. Awesome. Yeah. Sarah's a really good cook. Well, She's you. always posting on her Instagram about... The great dinner she and her husband are making. He made me cacio a pepe last night. Y'all are so cool. I know, fancy. Um, but, well, <laughs> thank you for saying we're cool. But it was fun. So we did the hike, and then we went tubing. On, But it, it's not like Texas tubing. Like, Texas tubing is like, crack open a beer, you just sit there, and it doesn't <laughs> float. This was like rapids tubing, and so, like, you're, like, using all of your muscles and everything. Oh, and the next day, I was uh, pretty sore. sore. So Yeah. Yeah, from the five-mile hike. And, like, me and my husband, like, carried the back, so if somebody bailed, we would go um, oh. collect them so that was fun so we're doing a lot of visual elements here for this podcast mm -hmm. today but if you are just listening in the audio you won't miss out but if you do want to watch uh, the video uh, there are different ways again that you can watch the podcast that we've done uh, in the past you can go to ksat.com for this video version which we'll post an article mm -hmm. of but if you don't have access to a video version or you'd like to just listen to it you can listen to it anywhere you get your podcasts. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All those fancy platforms. Absolutely. And you mentioned we had a great reception to the Welcome Back episode. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, part of the reason we know that is because we got a lot of your questions. Yay. So when you go to ksat.com to watch the video version, if you scroll down in that article that you're watching the video in, you'll see a prompt for you to ask us questions. And we got several questions just from the first episode. So thank you so much for listening, watching, but also asking us questions. And we kind of left it open to anything about our jobs, anything about weather specifically. And we've already gotten a lot of really good questions. So each episode, Sarah will answer a question. I'll answer a question. Absolutely. So Sarah, what's your question? All right. So my question was from Keith. And he asks, what causes a low or high pressure system to form? That is a great question, Keith. So we talk a lot about high pressure systems, low pressure systems. You know, high means dry, so we usually don't see any kind of rain when we see a high pressure system. Low pressure means stormy usually. And so, yeah, I can understand where the curiosity for where do they, how do they form? Where do they come from? Well, the atmosphere is a fluid, okay? So imagine... Uh, you know, doing experiments when you were a kid, oil above water, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The oil floats and the oil is a fluid, right? Well, in the case of our atmosphere, the atmosphere is the oil and the fluid, uh, the the, um, water is the ocean, okay? So the atmosphere acts a lot like a fluid. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're at the beach and you see the waves, you have the crests in the waves and you have the troughs in the waves, right? So a crest in the atmosphere is a high pressure system. When you have one of those uh, crests or in the atmosphere, that's a high pressure system. When you're underneath a high pressure system, there's a lot of air above you. Uh, It's higher in the atmosphere and it creates sinking motion and that's what gives you the sunshine. When you're under a low pressure system, you are sitting underneath a trough in the atmosphere. And the uh, air is always trying to fill the gaps from high pressure to low pressure. So when you're under a low pressure system, you're gonna have rising air because it wants to fill in those gaps and that's what gives you the storminess. Great question, Keith. Thank you so much. That's a great example, the, the ocean waves. Ocean, we're both um, doing waves with our arms right now. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Great question. Um, okay, my question is from Lawrence. Lawrence asked, are there any trees or plant vegetation Texas can plant that would help reduce the depletion of ozone? This was a good mm, question. And question. right off the top of my head I wasn't totally sure so this taught me a few things and Sarah was making fun of if you're watching the video version how how long my answer to this is <laughs> I love it my answer was total of two lines oh. uh, to Keith's question and Katie's answer <laughs> yes. is a whole page uh, of notes so I promise it will be somewhat brief <laughs> but that's like our our workflow a little bit so I okay it. Her workflow. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Okay. So just to set the scene, we are going to talk about the different layers of the atmosphere. So the ozone layer is found in the stratosphere, and that's about 10 to 20 miles up from the surface of the Earth. And if you're watching, we're going to pop up here. Nice little snapshot of the atmosphere, and that shows you where the ozone layer is. So the ozone layer helps to protect life on Earth from some of the sun's most harmful rays. It has always seen ebbs and flows, but a higher depletion of ozone was noted starting in the 1970s. Um, And the reason for this ozone depletion is because of two different types of atoms, bromine and chlorine. They make up ozone-depleting substances, or ODSs. These ODSs are things like 
hydrochlorofluorocarbons and chlorofluorocarbons. All these things uh, basically um, are part of aerosol propellants, um, refrigeration materials, foam insulation. Didn't they, so, didn't they come from like hairspray? Like in the 80s during that hairspray craze, a lot of the aerosols had chlorofluorocarbons and I, stuff? Yes. Yeah. So it's a lot of these manufactured materials and things that produce these emissions that contain um, ozone-depleting substances. So the best way to reduce ozone depletion, so to save our ozone layer, is to reduce emissions. And that is something that everyone can do. However, to really undo the damage that had been done to the ozone layer by the second half of the 20th century, global restrictions had to be put in place. Um, And really the big one that stuck out was the Montreal Protocol of 1987. This required developed countries to reduce their ozone depletion substances emissions in phases. And it appears that this has worked very well. In fact, the EPA, as of today, this recording, says that the ozone layer should be healed by the middle of this century. Woo! And that is some good news in the climate, whereas there's plenty of bad news in the climate recently. (laughs) So my last little box here says soapbox. Look what happens when we address a global concern and actually do something about it. Hmm. It gets fixed. It didn't happen overnight. No. And it took people working together, but it got fixed. And that's all I'll say about that. So thanks for getting on your soapbox. To answer answer Lawrence's question, Lawrence is like, I wish I hadn't asked this question at this point. So it it does not appear that there's a specific type of plant or vegetation that we can plant here on the surface of the earth that will help prevent depletion of the ozone layer strictly because it's just so high up in the atmosphere. However, green spaces are always a good thing and they provide a lot of benefits. And I'm showing you this fun little, um, I love this graphic of different ways that having plants and greenery around help your, help the earth and also your well-being. All these people are so happy. So green spaces are always good um, however, to really help the ozone layer itself, it's all about emissions. And I, I will just say, I love that you mentioned that part about it. It is true. When when policies are made and, and things are put into practice, it really does help our atmosphere. So thanks for pointing that out, too. That was great. <laughs> no problem. Thanks so much, Katie. Okay. Back to what we are doing today. Our topic today is hail, a topic that many people, not only in San Antonio, Mm -hmm. but across the state of Texas and across areas that deal with severe weather, deal with a lot, hail. And this year, we've seen our share of hailstorms. This was a big hail event for us. It it sort of reminded me of 2016. We're talking baseball-sized hail. This is round two of the hail. If you've lived in South Texas for a while, you're probably... Hail... Uh, is a big thing. So right now, Katie's going to talk about what hail is, where it comes from. Uh, So Katie, take it away. Thank you. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, how hail forms. So you probably know hail is a chunk of ice that falls out of a thunderstorm. What? I know. We don't have to have freezing weather to have hail. That's a totally different season and different types of uh, precipitation processes. So um, I've got some great images for you here. If you can, if you're listening and you want to catch the video version later, these images are really helpful um, to kind of show how hail forms in a thunderstorm. So thunderstorms have 
what we call updrafts and downdrafts. And basically those are big pushes of air, updrafts up into a storm, downdrafts down toward the ground. Um, and these updrafts and downdrafts are critical in keeping the storm going and also in hail formation. So raindrops at the bottom of a thunderstorm cloud will get pushed up into the coldest part of the storm by the updraft. There, they freeze, and that is the start of our hailstone. So after we have that initial little teeny tiny hailstone, it's going to grow larger by bumping into other super cooled water droplets in the top of the cloud. But also, when these hailstones, they, they start to fall down and then they get picked back up by the updraft and tossed back into that freezing part of the cloud, and that adds another layer of ice. So sometimes oh, we'll like see... Kind of like a snowball, right? Snowball yeah. effect? Yeah. And, and a way I think people, um, a good analogy are trees. You know, when you chop down a tree and you can see all their different rings. Mm-hmm. It's a similar process. So each so cool. Each it's so cool. Each time that hailstone is to- tossed up, it gets another layer of, of freezing liquid on it. So it grows a little bit grows a little bit bigger. Eventually, though, either the hailstone is going to get too heavy or the updraft will get too weak that the hailstone is going to fall out and onto the ground, and that's when we see them land in our yards. And that's an interesting thing that you bring up about the rings around a hail stone. So the next time it hails at your house, uh, after the hail is done, try to go outside and see if you can see Mm -hmm. those rings. And in some of the hailstones, you really can see them very clearly. So really cool, Katie. Definitely. So that's a really kind of short and sweet version of how hailstones form. Um, In the certain types of storms that we typically see hail form, it's our supercell thunderstorms. So these are storms that are very organized and have a certain kind of structure typically with those very strong updrafts and downdrafts that help to toss the stone up and down. Isn't it true that they have such strong updrafts and downdrafts that they start to circulate as well? Yes. And so that's how a characteristic of a supercell thunderstorm is that the whole giant storm is actually rotating. And that rotation is where we introduce the concern for tornadoes. So Mm -hmm. it's supercell storms that can produce very large hail also tornadoes. A lot of times we'll see a supercell storm form along a dry line. And especially during severe weather season, if you're here in the San Antonio area, you may hear us talk about the dry line from time to time. The dry line is basically just a boundary that separates very moist air from very dry air. So it's that separation, that really drastic change in moisture content creates uh, a lot of instability, and that can act as a trigger for storms to develop, especially if it's a, a really hot day. So if you have that heat and that instability, that will help to form these storms along the dry line. Um, and so typically if we have a dry line in place and we've got a lot of instability, um, that's something that we as meteorologists can see. That type of setup can be really conducive to supercells, which can lead to some big time hail. Absolutely. Thanks, Katie. That's so clear the way you described it. And uh, so again, I, I, can totally picture what you're seeing just by listening to you but then we also have this beautiful video element that if you wanted to look at you can go to ksat.com uh, speaking of visual elements I'm going to talk <laughs> now about hail size when it becomes severe and and hail safety as well because oftentimes you know you'll get a severe thunderstorm warning for hail but but what exactly should you do so first let's talk about the size of hail as Katie was mentioning the updrafts in the storm 
is really what allows hail to form, right? It sends the tiny little uh, uh, raindrops all the way up high in the atmosphere where it's well below zero, and that's getting the hail process starting. Some storms are stronger than others. The weaker of the storms will only produce pea-sized hail to, let's say, nickel-sized hail, right? Those are the weaker of the storms, right? Because the updraft is not strong enough to send it back up and make the hail grow larger and larger and larger and larger. So oftentimes with thunderstorms, you will see hail. It is not uncommon to see pea-sized hail within a thunderstorm that is producing a lot of electricity. Uh, But once that hailstone gets to an inch in diameter or quarter-sized hail, that's when it becomes severe because at that critical threshold, that's where you can get damage to property and damage to life as well mm-hmm. uh, when you get a size of quarters or greater. Does that mean you should be outside when it's hailing dimes or pennies? Probably not. That would probably not be that comfortable, but it becomes severe when it is the size of of, uh, of a quarter or greater. Mm-hmm. And hailstones, as we know here in San Antonio, can become giant pretty quickly because of our placement and our proximity to the dry line here in San Antonio, which we'll talk about later. But anytime you get hailstones that are, uh, you know, the size of tennis balls or, or even golf balls or greater, that can be pretty bad. And then you get gigantic hail when it's the size of baseballs or larger. Four-inch diameter hail is the size of a softball. Now, let's talk a little bit about safety. As I mentioned before, anything you want to say about hail sizes, Katie? No. No? Okay. As I mentioned before, um, if if it's hailing outside, you definitely shouldn't be outside. Whenever thunder roars, ready? Go, Go indoors. indoors. Because you you definitely don't want to be outside during a, a storm in general. You've right. got heavy rains, you've got lightning, and in some cases you have small-sized hail. But once it gets to the size of a quarter, the National Weather Service will issue a severe thunderstorm warning. Now, there are days when you know that severe weather is going to be a possibility. There are days when we, Katie and I tell you, hey, there's a severe thunderstorm watch in place. You need to be watching out for severe thunderstorms. If that's the case, um, sorry, there's a little bit of laughter in the background there. Our engineering crew is having fun. If that's the case and you're under a severe thunderstorm watch, you should really be paying attention to the weather. Try not to go out out on errands during that window when that watch is issued. Um, but if you are out and about, if you're in a car and you get a severe thunderstorm warning for hail, the best thing for you to do, do not go under an overpass. Because what we have seen as meteorologists is that people go under overpasses and they end up blocking traffic and they end up getting in car accidents. Also, overpasses will not really help you all that much if that hail is wind-driven, so it's not necessarily the smartest thing to do. Mm -hmm. The best thing to do is if you can find an exit, take the exit. Your car is stronger than you think it is, so take the exit, find a gas station, park under the awning if at all possible, go inside if at all possible. If it's hailing, do not leave the car though. Okay. That's the key. And the thing you want to do is if it starts hailing and you're in your vehicle, you want to turn your back to the windows, cover your head and wait for it to stop hailing. And then once it stops hailing, 
you'll be safe to go on your way again. So that's something to do in a car. If you're in a house or your home, the best thing for you to do is just to be away from the windows. Mm -hmm. That's about it. Be away from the windows because sometimes those hailstones, if they're wind driven, can go through windows and then you're dealing with shattered glass in addition to being close to an actual hailstone. So that is just some quick little safety tips on hail and how large hail can get. Speaking of how large hail can get, Katie. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the big hail events um, across the country, but specifically in Texas. And we've had some new developments just in the year 2021 when it comes to record-setting hailstones in Texas. So I want to start with the largest hailstone ever recorded in the United States. This was in Vivian, South Dakota. Back in 2010, this hailstone was measured to be eight inches in diameter. Okay, picture a ruler in your head. Eight inches. It's huge. So that is the largest hailstone on record in the United States. All of these records and things, you've got to consider that places like South Dakota, Mm -hmm. fairly rural, most of the state. So, and really a lot of places in the plains, there's, there are hailstones that have fallen and it's like, it's like if a tree falls in the forest and you didn't hear it. Did it fall? Is that what it is? It's something like that. <laughs> like if you, like if if a hail if a humongous yes, hailstone falls true. in the middle of a field and there's just buffalo, no one ever records it. So ground truth is really important. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. So just consider that these are hailstones that someone has found, preserved, and has been recorded. So that's the largest in US history. The largest hailstone in Texas history fell. In 2021, April 28th, in our viewing area. In our viewing area. In the KSAP viewing area. It was crazy. It was wild. I remember that day well. That was a supercell yes. thunderstorm. They came all the way from Mexico, correct? Mm-hmm. Originated in Mexico, crossed the Rio Grande. It moved through several counties in our viewing area. Eventually made it all the way to Medina County, which is the county just west of Bear County, which is where San Antonio is. Um, this supercell produced a short-lived tornado. Mm-hmm. It also produced, for the most part, large damaging hail. And you mentioned, Sarah, the wind-driven hail. Yeah. So this was a large hail getting thrown into gas station signs and awnings, and there were just huge gaping holes. Um, So this was an extremely damaging storm. But this particular supercell storm did produce a hailstone that someone that fell through, I believe it fell through a a residence, a roof, and the homeowners were able to preserve it. They kept it in the freezer until someone could come out and get it measured. It was 6.4 inches in diameter. So wow. largest one that was in South Dakota, eight inches, this one, 6.4, still <laughs> massive. Yeah. Um, and this particular hailstone also now has set Texas state records for volume of a hailstone, circumference, and weight. It was 1.26 pounds. And what was really crazy too is, is so this area, this rural area, they had these scientists come out and they took a 3D scan of it and 3D printed it so mm-hmm. that it can be preserved forever and you don't have to um, keep it in a freezer. Oh, I do have. Yes, I took a I grabbed a screenshot of that. So we have if you're if you're watching, we're going to pop up a screenshot of our article on KSAT.com that once it became official, that this was 
the largest hailstone on record in Texas. We have an article there, and you can see just how just how big this thing is. And so, how they did the science of it, too, which is really cool. It was very cool. Hail, yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Some other notable local hail events because yeah, that was the, the biggest hailstone, but we get some some doozies hail storms that impact larger areas. Absolutely. And we have a whole case that explains episode on this as well. Why does it hail so much here in San Antonio and why is it such an issue? Uh, so we're going to talk about some of the local events that have really um, had a major impact on us in San Antonio and the state of Texas because it affects our economy whenever you have damaging weather events like we do here. In early May, the KSAT 12 Weather Authority team broke into programming to make our viewers aware of a sudden hailstorm. In the days that followed, we reported on all the damage that was left behind. Now that the threat is over and the damage has been assessed, we want to explore the science behind these hailstorms. So on May 3rd, 2020, just a couple of weeks after uh, the largest hailstone event, I believe, uh, we had a perfectly beautiful sunny day. It was wonderfully sunny with one caveat. We knew that if the temperature got above a certain level, it would fire off some very damaging storms. And that's exactly what it did. It was only one or two storms, but they tracked right through San Antonio and Point South in Bear County. And we had up to tennis ball to baseball sized hail. And this storm in particular was one of the, one of uh, 2021, not 2020, sorry, 2021's biggest hail events ever. It was one of the year's billion dollar disasters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that the one I'm talking about? That's the right one. There was the one this year. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was. A, there okay. was one in 2020 because that was early on in the pandemic there was as well. There was one and that was one of that was one that was one of 2020's billion dollar disasters. Okay. So we have um, messed up. We have not messed. No, we have not messed up. I don't because know if you this were, one was a billion dollar one, though. The one that in 2021, I'm not sure. Yeah. So it wasn't a billion dollar one, but it was still devastating. Okay. All right, moving on. Okay, we're going to go to uh, the April 12th, 2016 hailstorm. And this one was the second costliest in Texas history. We know this for sure. Now, on this day, tennis ball to softball sized hail fell in a 40 mile swath across Bear County with the neighborhoods of Holotus, Leon Valley, Alamo Heights and Kirby most affected. We've got a story on this as well on as on ksat.com that's going to go on this link. The uh, cost of this damage 1.36 billion dollars. Yes, very crazy. Uh, so again, we have had several uh, large hail events that have cost us a lot of money in our Texas economy, and so that's why it's important to know about hail and how to stay safe during a hail event. Something to do, though, is if you are ever in a hailstorm, make sure to note how large the hail is mm -hmm. and the time for insurance claims. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing to do. Uh, because we don't really keep a ton of records here at KSAT and also hail, it totally varies depending on where you live. Yeah. In your neighbor's yard, large baseball-sized hail could fall, but you could really only get smaller hailstones through the area. So Honestly, just like you would document things in a car accident, yeah. document severe weather issues as well. That's exactly we right. We do get some emails. Can you tell me what happened on this day? And we can give you an idea 
idea. The National Weather Service keeps right. high, low temperature, and then how much rain. But if there was severe weather, unless it was something like these really big, mm-hmm. memorable events that stick out, we may not know. So it's yeah. always good to keep your own so records. So again, to clarify, in 2020, there was a billion-dollar hail <laughs> disaster because we were here covering that. I do remember that. And then just this year, in on May 3rd, 2021, we had another large hail event move through areas south of San Antonio. Mm-hmm. But then the second costliest hailstorm on record in Texas was in 2016 in April. So it's... Uh, we know just as meteorologists here that the hail is a big concern for a lot of a lot of residents, mm-hmm. especially people that have lived through and seen the destruction that these more recent hail events have caused. So that's something that we always keep in the back of our mind. Um, we know hail is, can be a sensitive topic. Yeah. So if we've got hail in the forecast, we really can't just be like, oh, there may be some hail. We've really got to kind of walk people through that just to put people's minds at ease because it can be really scary. Yeah. And so we're always on alert for hail. So this is how we forecast hail. So uh, go ahead, Katie, if we want to talk about the synoptic just <laughs> features. A cu- just a couple things. And there's um, each day is different when it comes to meteorology. You're never going to have exactly the same conditions twice. So uh, each situation is unique, but we've been talking about the dry line. That's typically where we see a good setup for those supercell thunderstorms that can produce several modes of severe weather, including large hail. We can Mm -hmm. also have, um, when we get into our our seasons changing and we start to get those stronger cold fronts come through where we do see the drastic change in temperature, the really dry air move in, uh, those cold fronts can also produce very strong storms that can produce hail. So we're looking at our, what we call synoptic weather setup. That's basically um, what's happening with high and low pressure systems like Sarah was talking about, cold fronts, warm fronts, dry lines. So we'll look at that setup, see what we've got going on, see what we've got going on in terms of any upper level lift or support overhead. We've got to have that as well. Uh, another uh, another things that we look at is we look at what the atmosphere looks like from the top to the bottom in uh, something called an atmospheric profile, right? And so there are a couple things that we're looking for there. Okay, this can get pretty scientific. When we're looking for something <laughs> called a lapse rate, we'll show pictures of this. We're looking for a lapse rate that is pretty steep. So what do we mean by that? We mean that there's going to be a big drop in temperature from the surface to the top. Mm-hmm. A steep lapse rate is going to be a good atmosphere to produce hail. That along with capes. Yes, and cape, so convective available potential, potential energy. energy. Um, that's basically just how much, um, how big of an energy drink did the atmosphere drink <laughs> that like morning? That. If it's really big, it's really juiced up. It's got a lot of atmos- um, a lot of energy to work with. Um, that's where we'll typically see more severe weather. So. You'll also hear us talk about something called a cap. And a cap is where there's a tiny little temperature aversion above the surface. Mm-hmm. And once that, once we get enough lift to break through that cap, you can just have a, a air that just continues to rise. And it is a thunderstorm that does not have any way to stop. So, and that will create a pretty large hailstones as well. Sweet. And last but not least, we need you, the viewer and the listener to help us when there's a hailstorm because we have a lot of a wonderful tools on our radar mm-hmm. to say, oh, this storm is capable of producing hail this large. 
but we also need ground truth. We need people on the ground to to tell us how large that hailstone actually was, that fell, um, because the Raiders are not totally perfect. And the ways that you can do that, if you're a KSAT 12 viewer, you can um, do that on KSAT Connect, which is a feature that we have on our weather app and ksat.com slash pins, where you can put your hail pictures on there and we show them on air as Mm -hmm. well. That helps us with the ground truth. That helps us verify like that viewer in Medina County did the largest hailstone in Texas ever. So again, that's how you can help us as meteorologists. And it's never okay to go outside during an actual hailstorm while it's hailing. We've actually had friends who have done that. Please don't. Do not do that. Please don't. Do not do that. Okay. (laughs) Well, Ke, I mean, thank you so much for helping explain hail. Thank you. Don't forget that you can ask us questions on uh, our Whatever the Weather page. We will answer one or two every single episode. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd like to add, Katie? I don't think so. Hope you all found this entertaining. Hail is always a popular a popular topic. And like Sarah was saying, we've done some Quesad Explains, um, an episode all about hail it has some mm-hmm. of the same visual elements that we saw here so you can hop over and check that out on the case that explains page and remember even if it's hailing we want you to weather, weather the weather, weather whatever the weather. weather peace out Thanks for listening to Whatever the Weather. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. Plus, find the video version on KSAT's podcast page, YouTube, and the KSAT TV app on your Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Apple, or Smart TV.